It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart Food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, and welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. My name is Fergus Collins, and I'm the host of the podcast. So this is season nine our homage to spring in Britain as we attempt to visit 12 different habitats to record the wild residents and some equally worthy human inhabitants too. In episode 11, we're on a quest for a rare species that only appears at the very end of spring. And in England, it was extinct until a recent reintroduction by the aptly named Back From The Brink Project helped re-establish this lost species in a secret site in Rockingham Forest, Northamptonshire. So we sent naturalist Megan Shearsby to roam the forest with back from the brinks Susanna Uridan in search of the chequered skipper, a rare and beautiful jewel of a butterfly. So here's how she got on. If you like our podcast, please do leave a like and a review on whichever podcast provider you use, or send me an email at editor at countryfile.com. I'm standing in a clearing in some woodland in a top secret location with Susanna Reardon from the Back from the Brink project. Now, Susanna, why are we here? So we're here because this is the um, secret location where we released Checkered Skipper in 2018. And we're here to see if we can find any flying today. So what are checkered skippers and why have they been reintroduced here? So checkered skipper is a very small butterfly um, that had been extinct in England since the 1970s. The last sightings in England were in 1976. Um, 
and it disappeared. It used to be quite common in these woodlands in Rockingham Forest. Um, so when butterfly conservation were looking to try and bring it back to England, um, this is where we wanted to focus our efforts. They're not extinct across the whole of the UK. Where are they found at the moment, outside of this introduction project, of course? So yes, so so since the 70s, they have only been in Scotland. So there, there's um, populations up around the Fort William area of Scotland, and that's normally where people have to head in order to see a chequered skipper in the UK. Yes, I just distinctly remember travelling quite a long way up to Scotland to see them. And today I've travelled about 40 minutes from where I live to see them. It's quite a different time scale, so it's very exciting. Now you've given a hint as to where we are. You said Rockingham Forest, but where where in England are we? Yeah, so Rockingham Forest, we're in the Midlands. Um, so it's actually an old hunting forest. It's stretched from Peterborough right down to Kettering. So it used to cover about 200 odd square miles, but obviously there's not so much of that left now. And you're just left with some patches of woodland um, and in amongst those, there's, you know, arable um, towns and things like that. So, yeah, sort of like scattered patches now. OK, so shall we slowly walk and see if we can spot any checkered skipper butterflies? You were saying before we started recording that we should be looking particularly at a certain type of flower yeah, so one of the ways that we try and spot them is by looking at bugle. Um, bugle's a beautiful um, purple flower. Um, apparently, checkered skipper like purple flowers. They're, in Scotland, they'll be seen a lot on bluebells. And that's the adults you're looking for um, using those plants for nectar. So that's one of the ways that we try and spot them. Um, I'm keeping my eyes peeled every... Well, in fact, every flowering plant that I that we walk past, I'm taking a look at in the hope that there'll be one. Now, we're recording this, as I said, in late May, and everything's a little bit behind this year in terms of butterflies. Um, when would checkered skipper butterflies normally be flying? Well, it, it's, it can be quite variable, but usually we would start looking out for them in mid-May. Um, but yeah, this year it's been a terrible spring, very cold, very wet, and um, most of our butterfly species are a week or two behind um, where they'd normally be at this time of year. kind of looking around yeah. like oh come on but the other thing to look for especially now because we they really are only just coming out so usually it's males that come out first um, and males are quite territorial so they like finding a little perch like a piece of grass or 
um, sometimes they're like a twig um, and they'll sit there waiting for a female to come past um, but they'll also chase off anything else so they'll chase off any other butterflies or to be honest any other insects that come in in their little patch and um, so that's how we often spot them first we'll see something flying and you'll see a, like a, a really quick flash of like brown and orange because they're the, the main colors on on the butterfly and then you try and find where it's gone and often the males will go back to the same perch or into a, the same area so if you hang around long enough you can see them pop back to where they were. I've just seen a butterfly flying but I don't think it's check a skipper it looks much too big. Yeah that does look like um, a speckled wood yeah. um, they, which some people ca can they can look similar colours but a speckled wood is a lot bigger, much bigger um, a, a, the chequered skippers they're very small they're only two to three centimetres um, and they, they tend to fly quite low to the ground so you often see them sort of darting across from side to side I'm very pleased that we have at least seen one butterfly today <laughs> Yes, I have a lot of volunteers that come and help. Um, so we, we do a lot of monitoring to so that we can see where the checkered skipper are, how many we're seeing and how they're spreading throughout their sort of new habitat. Um, and they've, they've been on site for a couple of weeks now with very little, <laughs> very little to show for it except soggy feet oh. from um, all the rain. Um, so it's great that we finally got some nice weather and there's much more of a chance of seeing things. Even if, even if you're not lucky enough to see a checkered skipper, it's nice to see other butterflies and insects around. But one of the key things, obviously, we have decided to source our checkered skipper butterflies from Belgium and bringing any creature in from abroad you need to be really careful about what else you might bring in mm. unintentionally and um, so we've been working with Institute of Zoology who've done you know all the disease risk assessments around bringing these butterflies back in and different protocols for how we collect over there and how we release over here um, and all the butterflies are checked before they're released to make sure that they're not they haven't got anything on them that we don't want to put back into the habitat. I was going to say, what are you checking them for? Well, it would be things like um, any disease or um, any sort of small pathogens like fungus or mites, things like that, that um, you would think on a tiny butterfly, <laughs> you need a good hand lens to be able to see what you're doing. But um, yeah, we have a vet with us who checks all these things and makes sure the but butterfly's healthy as well before we bring it back here. So you, you've brought them over from Belgium, but why not just take some from the Scottish populations? So um, a couple of main reasons. Um, the English population are known to have used a couple of types of grass. So what you're looking for in a butterfly is really what the larvae eat. So that has to be present where you're going to put them. Um, and... Yeah, so, oh, small heath butterfly. Ooh, that's there. my first of the year. Yay! <laughs> Oh, I really love them, and they really um, when they sit when they settle, they often sit. Somebody taught taught me this tip, and oh. um, they sit with their wings at a slight angle, so they'll often sit with a little tilt to their wings. Yeah, 
Do we know why they do that? Uh, I don't know why. Maybe someone else might know if there's a reason for that, yeah. or it could just be one of those things. But it's quite good if you just want to double check that that is what it is. Now if I it's sitting there with these little tilts on its wings. I wonder if you get left-handed and right-handed <laughs> ones. Who knows? Maybe. Oh, oh, now I'm really intrigued. I'm going to have to go and look that up. That's Somebody really might have studied that. Who knows? You <laughs> might find someone's looked into that. Ah, okay. Right, we went off a different tangent because we saw a butterfly. So, Scottish populations and why they're not reintroduced from Scotland. Yes, yeah, so the larvae have a different food plant. So, in Scotland, they use purple moorgrass, whereas in um, England, their traditional food plants are there's one called um, wood small reed and another called false brome. So, different food plants and also quite different climates so we've done some um, studies into uh, different climate and habitat types at the reintroduction site and at um, in Belgium and in Scotland and actually Belgium comes a lot closer to the type of habitat and climate that we have in Rockingham Forest whereas Scotland is quite different climate different habitat um, and that's why we decided to collect from Belgium. The sort of the third and final reason would be that we don't want to damage the population in Scotland. So if we took too many butterflies from Scotland and put them down here, it might be that they didn't um, didn't survive. The population in, in Scotland would suffer. Yeah, that's a really good point. We've reached the junction of two... How would you describe these straight lines that cut through the woodland so in a lot of the woodlands we have what we call woodland rides so they're usually quite wide open footpaths um, one of the reasons they think um, checkered skipper disappeared uh, from Rockingham was because a lot of these actually became overgrown they became really dark um, and some of them were planted up with conifers and things like that and that makes it quite a dark habitat so one of the things that we've been that's key part of the project has actually been trying to do some management in these woods um, we work with quite a lot of landowners like um, the wildlife trust forestry england and local private estate called Bowton estate and it's talking to them. They already do some good management, but it's to try and get these woods into sort of better management. So you've now got these sort of nice open spaces again within the wood. And that's what not only Checkered Skipper likes that, a lot of other butterflies, a lot of invertebrates like that. And some of our other um, back from the brink species like bats, they'll use that for foraging on the insects down those nice sunny rides. And, um, you know, there's some of the birds as well. We use those as feeding areas. And the plants on um, respond really well to sun sunlight on the rides as well so it, it it's really good for lots of species now how easy is it actually to tell the difference between male and female checkered skippers well it's if you get a good view of a checkered skipper then you can tell the difference um so particularly if they're quite newly emerged and they're nice and fresh specimens so a male has um, sort of a longer thinner abdomen because obviously the female's abdomen is full of eggs so she's got quite a nice fat abdomen and the, and the male's abdomen sort of sticks out below the base of where his wings are and um, it can be quite hard to 
to visualise that. Um, but one of the other key characteristics, which is harder, but it's a great characteristic, is their antennae. Um, oh, okay. So that's why, you, but you need to get a head-on view. So you need to be looking at it from the right <laughs> angle and underneath the base of the club of the antennae, the male one is all orange, whereas the female one has orange tips and a black base to that club. Yeah, that you really do need a very good view of that, don't you? Gosh. And that reminds me, that's the key difference between Essex and small skippers is looking at the base of the antennae. So that seems to be a checkered skipper trait is look at the antennae. Yeah. Oof. But actually, it does sound like crazy, like, oh, my goodness, how did anyone ever see that? But if you get a, if you if you've got these close focusing binoculars, they're really helpful, um, particularly if it's a male and it's just sitting there, which often will just be like resting or, or basking and um, then you can get the right angle and you can have a look. So, oh, there's another nice patch of bugle. Sorry, I just always get distracted when we walk past a nice patch. Oh, there's a lot of bugle here, yeah. isn't there? It's good having a little look around on the um, grass stems nearby because sometimes the males will hang out near a nice patch of bugle hoping that a female will come and um, nectar on it. But nothing on this patch. I mean, it could be just there. There's yeah. like a huge swath of grass. Is they just emerged? Like, oh, could could it just be sat meters away from us? I think so because they're just emerging at the moment as well. That you know they will often sort of come out of their pupa and then they'll sit for a while as they pump up their wings and warm up. So you know we could quite easily be walking past some that haven't quite taken to flight yet. I'm eagerly looking around all the grass, <laughs> hoping that maybe I'll spot one. But they're, they're very good, like even though they've obviously got quite distinctive colours, the brown and orange, when their wings are open. But when they sit with their wings shut, they can, be a, they can blend in a little bit more and are, are harder to spot. It's even some of our brighter butterflies, they're bright even with their wings closed, just seem to vanish so easily when they're sat still. Yeah, I nearly actually stepped on a poor peacock butterfly yesterday because it was doing exactly that. I think it was quite an old one, so its wings were quite tatty and it had them shut. And uh, yeah, and it was just low down in the grass and I nearly stepped on it. Um, but yes, where were we? Belgium. So yeah, so we have permission to collect from there. Then we have um, the knowledge of where there's good populations um, and then we have quite a team they loads of people volunteer their time to help the project because we they are a butterfly that you don't get a nice big cloud of them at anywhere you know you're not going to walk up and just sweep your net through and, and catch a few butterflies you have to hunt high and low for these um cheeky checkered skippers Ooh, i've spotted a caterpillar now it's not oh. going to be a checkered skipper but it's oh, yes. oh i recognize it oh my caterpillar knowledge has deserted me yeah i'm gonna have to take a picture and look it up later i think yeah i'm with you there i'd have to definitely get the, definite... the caterpillar book out it's quite a furry one isn't it so you have to 
don't really want to... Oh, oh no, sorry. Oh, it's fallen. It's done wiggly. That was my fault. I thought I was helping for the photo, but it, it's done a... What they sometimes do when they're trying to escape from a predator, they go all wiggly. Well, it works, even though we weren't trying to eat it. Um, it shall remain a mystery. <laughs> because I will undoubtedly for completely forget what it looked like. Yep. I think on, on most of our collecting trips, there's been at least 10 of us, and we split into different groups and go to different areas. And then when you're lucky enough to find a checkered skipper and catch it in a net, then you pop it, put it, pop it in a pot as quickly as possible. That is a great little tongue twister, isn't it? <laughs> pop it in a pot yeah. as quickly as possible. <laughs> And then um, we would check whether it was male or female because we were really concentrating on bringing back females so that they would lay their eggs in their new habitat. Um, we had aimed originally to bring back 40 females and 10 males and the males are more in case some of the females hadn't already mated but also to promote that sort of natural interaction between males and females that you get in the wild. Um, so... Yeah, so we, um, so yeah, so we check whether they were um, male or female, and then you know make notes on where we collected it and everything. Have a quick look at its health, make sure it looked like a good specimen, um, and then the, one of the key things is to keep it cool. So you don't want them to be really flappy because that way they might lose a lot of their wing scales and just not be in very good condition when you um, bring them back. So we would put them in a little cool bag to keep them cool. And it um, also means that they don't need any nectar because they sort of just go into a little bit dormant. Um, kept them in a hotel fridge overnight. <laughs> oh, just having pictures of if you suddenly needed, I don't know, the room cleaned or something and someone from the hotel just opened the fridge and goes, what on earth? <laughs> Yeah, so I have some good pictures of a fridge full of uh, butterflies and um, we only managed to collect 32 females and, and 10 males in that first year because they are, just shows how hard they are to find and catch and also we couldn't, we wanted to leave some for, for the Belgians in their mm. original habitat, you don't want to take every single um, skipper that you see. A maximum, I think, of about 36 hours between when the first one was caught and when it was uh, put out in, in the new habitat. And some of the ones we caught later in the day, that was a mu much less, so sort of nine hours. What was that like, <laughs> taking the net off and then seeing them fly in England for the first time in decades? It was, it was really exciting, but it was one of those... It was a really cold morning. Oh. <laughs> and we had a lot of um, press on site, which was great. You know, Springwatch came to film and there was lots of local ITV news and things like that. So that was really good. But um, they were all there waiting for the big reveal and off come the nets and the little skippers are just sitting there going, yeah, it's a bit cold, I'm just going to wait for a while here. And so they actually didn't really start opening their wings for like two or three hours. Oh, and you've got um, all these people waiting around. <laughs> it meant you could get some really good photos of them yeah. with their wings closed, but some, some real close-ups. Um, so I don't think people weren't disappointed, but it was 
yeah, it, it, it wasn't possibly what people pictured it being like <laughs> with these sort of butterflies all taking off in the air. Um, but we also have volunteers on site. They've been like an amazing group of volunteers that were on hand to try and follow the butterflies and, and watch what they were doing because in an ideal world we would like to see what the, where the females are going where they decide to lay their eggs so we can see what that little micro habitats are like and then we can make sure that when we're doing our management work that we're taking that into account but um they're, they're super tricky to follow particularly the females they just vanish mm. you can be following one down a ride and then it will just two seconds split seconds it's disappeared and you're like where did that go so they bred successfully and then the year after 2019 we had the first skippers that have hatched in england then on the wing so that's a really good milestone in the project and it's been been going successfully since yes um We've had emergence every year and even this year. So um, in 20, well, in 2019 it would be, we had our first, yeah, English ones emerge. So they'd obviously been, caterpillars had been laid, you know, eggs had been laid in the new habitat by the Belgian butterflies. The caterpillars had managed to survive the whole winter. Um, Do they, so they spend the winter as caterpillars? Yeah. Ooh, They're really cool caterpillars and they make... I love the caterpillars. <laughs> they make um, a, little, a little home for themselves. So they pull together two leaf blade edges and pull it around themselves. They so look like a little roll. So it's almost like a little tube. Like when you... You know, tuck yourself into your duvet and you keep rolling. And yeah. You keep rolling, so you're all rolled up. Yeah, or like a sleeping bag, but without the zip at the bottom. Yeah. So that's, that's what it's, they, they live in their little tube and then they'll go and feed on the grass blade above and below the tube until they've eaten all of that grass and then they'll go and find another grass blade to do it. So that's when we when we go doing our sort of larval, our chicken skipper larvae hunts, that's what we're looking for. Generally, you're looking for the tube first and then you need to check whether it's... Because other skippers do that as well. Oh, Large skippers do the same thing. So you need to check the caterpillar then that you find in a tube. Um, yeah. And you're trying to find the caterpillars amongst grass. And there's a lot of grass here. There's a lot of grass here. So, yeah, so hunting caterpillars has been quite a tricky... Um, experience we have found a few caterpillars amazing i'm amazed that we found any really because you can just see just the amount of habitat that we have to look at um but no it, it, it's really great but i mean what are the plans going looking ahead so yeah so we've already got a plan in place to collect some more in belgium this year in a slightly different way obviously we can't go there um but we will um our colleagues are amazing <laughs> they're going to collect for us if they have enough emerge you know we never want to do any damage to their population so we're still waiting to see they've had a terrible spring just as we have um, and then we will see what's happening here we might decide to put some more back into this site if, if we feel that that's the best thing to do this year 
or we might put them in a different site. Going forward, what we would like um, is to put it into several of the sites within the Rockingham Forest area um, so that they can, we have got several populations established and then they'll be able to spread out into other nearby woodlands throughout that network. That is our long-term plan going forward. Mm. Um, but also one of the key things about that is maintaining the habitat. So that's, you know, that's the hard bit is, is keeping these rides open, making sure there's enough nice open space within the woodlands and that that's, it, it's kept that way for years to come and doesn't just start to become dark tunnels again like it has been in the past. We're just coming up to a fallen tree which has fallen across the path so it's a little bit of an obstacle course which is always good fun I'm trying to work out how long it must be down there's quite a few trees down actually was that perhaps in one of the last big storms we had or is these a few years old do you think no these are probably in the last year or something these have come down so we have had quite windy windy days and and, and some of these um, that are on the edge might have uh, had a tumble also like is in most woodlands now there's a lot of ash dieback um, and so some of the trees are getting to that stage now where they're starting to keel over but is there a policy generally to leave the deadwood in place is deadwood good for wildlife yeah, deadwood's fabulous for wildlife and it's often something that's missing from woodlands nowadays. People get too tidy. So um, like the, the at, absolute best deadwood is standing deadwood. So it's one, you know, if a tree dies, but it just slowly rots away because it's fantastic for lots of insects, lots of fungus. Um, and, you know, some birds will like using it for nesting as well. Um, but then fallen deadwood's also really great and loads of our sort of rarer beetles and invertebrates love that sort of habitat. So, oh, I've just got a whiff of that. I think it must be that big hawthorn tree just there. Very frothy flowers all over it. I've just got... Yeah, that's great. Isn't so it? It's a little bit, little bit of an exaggeration, but also almost overcome by the smell of it you know it's just that smell of spring or well one of the smells of spring anyway it's really strong i've just had a message <gasps> there's a checkered skipper bin scene so do you want to go and see oh my gosh let's go let's go let's go i might just explode with excitement when if we do see an actual one walking a little bit faster than we were before because now we know they're out. Yes, they're, they're very good at disappearing by the time you get somewhere. <laughs> I'll try not to get too yeah. too hopeful, yeah, but... Pretty much where we've just come from. It's oh, of just, course. <laughs> it just goes to show you, you can uh, walk right past one. I feel kind of fizzy thinking about them. I've got so to. excited yesterday when we had our first sighting. So I was just skipping along. So it is, I'm always very, yeah, very nervous at this time of year. So 
Unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to hug the person that saw the first sighting, which I normally would. Um, You'll have to save that for when restrictions are lifted enough. <laughs> absolutely. We're gradually approaching where we were before. So I'm just going to look around just in case it has flown off and has been lost and we spot it on the way back. You never know. Yeah, it's always good to keep an eye out when you're walking along because I feel like the bird song is now egging us on. Like, come on, you can do it. You can find one. We've come back to the crossroads of the woodland rides, but there's no one here. Whether oh no, I can see two people. Is it the same one, Sarah, or a different one? Sorry. Okay. The one that was saw yesterday. Roger took a photograph of it anyway. Okay. But he's standing where he's on it. If you want to oh, it's still there. Yes. <gasps> Thank you, Roger. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Now, which way do we need to approach from so we don't spook it? Do we come this way? Just keep walking. I've walked past it. I thought you were standing in line with it. Okay. No. Oh no. Okay. Min, I've got my sunglasses on. I'm going to blame that. I don't know if I can even find it. Roger, you've got good eyes. I can see something. I'm going to get my binoculars ready. I'm going to keep my eyes on it in case what I can see is the butterfly. But it might not be. Have you spotted it yet? <laughs> what happened? Roger, I think we're going to need you to point it out to us. You could uh, can you I'll, just... I'll give you another hour. <laughs> <laughs> right on the top of that seat. Oh, I was looking much oh, lower than were. that. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh my gosh, that is tatty. That's a good spot. You can wow. see how camouflage they can be even within um And it's got its wings open isn't usually when they're up on top of there they've got the wings closed. Yeah. So it's perched there very nicely. It's, yeah, so I mean it's basking, it's not it's not roosting, it's actually got its wings open, so So is that a male or a female? Yeah, a male. Gosh. How about that? Check a skipper butterfly in England. Maybe the only one. Oh, yeah. don't say that! You work on more than just the checkered skipper butterfly here. What other species do you look at? And what is the overarching name of this project? Yeah, so it's the Back from the Brink project. It's actually a project that's been happening all over England. Um, there's been 19 different projects, uh, but we've all, we've all been working on different threatened species. Um, so I've been working in Rockingham Forest, so that's um, Roots of Rockingham, we've called ourselves. Um, and we've been working on, well, 15 different 
threatened species, um, as well as a number of um, sort of we've got our like primary species that we've been focusing on, and some secondary species that will hopefully um, benefit from some of the work that we've been doing as well. But yeah, all of the projects are sort of focused on on things that are de declining and disappearing, and trying to improve habitats for them and to improve their numbers so that we don't lose them. What are the other primary species you've been focusing on here? Yeah, so in Rockingham we have the adder and we have, I'm going to go through them in my, in my taxonomic <laughs> or, um, groups so that I don't forget any. So we have one reptile which is the adder, we have um, five bird species which are lesser spotted woodpecker, um, the spotted flycatcher, willow tit, marsh tit and lesser redpole and we have um, five butterfly and moth species so not only um, the checkered skipper, um, we have um, dingy and grizzled skippers, um, wood white which is one of my favourite butterflies and um, concolorous moth and the what moth concolorous concolorous so apparently i have looked this up concolorous sort of means um it's it's quite a beige moth it's not very distinctive it's it's nice it's like quite a fluffy moth but yeah and i think concolorous means something around it sort of being a similar color to its surroundings type thing mm. so and you can see why that name fits it when you see it um, but it's quite, it's a speciality, it's only found in quite a few places, but we're very lucky in Rockingham um, to have decent numbers of it. Um, Sorry, I interrupted your list then. That's absolutely fine. So I've done the birds. So plants, we have um, two plants. We have the fly orchid, which is flowering at the moment, which is fab, and the basil thyme. And we have a couple of bat species, um, which are sort of woodland specialists, so barbastel and brown long-eared bat. Now, is that Jamie I can see ahead of us? Yeah. Crouched down, crouched down in the grass. Not looking at a spider this time. <laughs> Much as we love crab spiders, and in fact, there was one on your leg earlier, which was beautiful bright yellow. In this case, we are going to focus on the checker skipper butterflies. Fabulous spot. Oh, it's always so exciting. And it's funny because both times we came up this way, we turned off down the left and found the, the dead um, tree across the path. And both times, you know, we could have turned right and seen it. But they're so hard to spot that you can, you, like, two people could walk down the same ride and one person could see it. I've just spotted a poplar hawk moth as well. Look at this. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen one just sat in the grass in the wild before. Let's see if I can get it onto my hand. Oh my gosh, it's so fluffy. That was a good spot, especially as we're cracking on at quite a bit. We were walking very fast and I was just, um, see if I, I can bring it with us. I love them. They've got like these, almost I feel like they have sticky feet and they yes. don't want to let go and they just can sit on you, so if oh. we get nearer we'll have to... I have to look at my books because I know that poplar hawk moths are one of those species where you can 
tell the difference between the male and the female based on the abdomen shape. But off the top of my head, I can't remember which way round it is. No, it's often like that. I'm afraid I can't help you on that one. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's just, I could just see the reddish brown on its hind wing. Another white. Oh, it's all happening. All happening. I want to creep up a little bit so we don't disturb anything. Is it off to the side? Do we need to... Oh. I'll go over to this side so I make sure I don't disturb it. Oh, I can see it. Oh, look at that. Oh, yeah, now that's what I'm talking about. That's no offence to the male earlier, that's much nicer. <laughs> and look what I found as well on the way down. Holy cow. <laughs> Isn't it a beast? Wow. You just picked up a passenger. Yeah. A gorgeous passenger, crikey. Poplar hawk moth. Mm -hmm. Just sat in the grass. And as Susanna was saying, we were walking at quite a pace and then suddenly my eyes caught sight of this Guy or girl, I'll work it out later. You have a very good eye because it's well camouflaged, no? It is. Oh, it's just the shape of it stood out to me. Just come out, yeah, she's she? very fresh. She's yeah. oh, the the contrast between the brown, the dark brown, and the yellow orange. Oh, she's done one of those sneaky. She, now I can see her. She's over there. Well done. It's a good thing there's three of us. She's checking out the clipboard. Oh, she's come back again. She's just landed again. Oh, and she's off again. I don't want to... Oh, I've lost her. Did you see where she went? She looked like... But then sometimes that's... She was down. on these, this area, because it did look like she might have gone down. But... She could have done one of the sneaky skipper things and... She could have shot right past us and we wouldn't have known. the undergrowth, which they are very good at that. I feel like the buzzard calling is a bit like it's <laughs> laughing at us. You lost her! But you can see now what I was saying about earlier about how the females are so hard to follow because they just vanish. They're called skippers for a reason. They are so elusive. Skipping they are masters, along. absolute masters and mistresses of deception. Because once you, once you lose them, they, they just seem to vanish into thin air. But precisely like that, I, I thought they'd gone up the ride, and then Susanna said, oh no, it's gone the other way. Well, this poplar hawk moth seems... Oh, that is phenomenal. I mean, that's... I love them. Absolutely amazing. They're great for doing stuff with kids. They're so um, docile. Yeah, they, they're, they're quite happy to just <laughs> sit on your finger. I wish the jacket was like that. Yeah. Oh, look at that. I yeah, mean, this must be, what, quite a few times bigger than the checkered skipper. Yeah. It's such big. It's giant. Oh, it's giant. Is it an absolute chunk? Was it just in the centre of the... It's of just the off to the side in the grass. Well, I didn't. I walked right past Crikey, it. Yeah, I don't know how I would see that um, amongst all the dead Calamagrostis and all sorts. She'll be around here somewhere, probably just basking, resting. Considering she's so fresh. Yeah. Fab spot, Jamie. 
female. Two, there we go. two so far this year, and we've only just started, really. You are very lucky, <laughs> <laughs> might yeah. I add. It's very rarely that straightforward. Yeah. So that was Megan Shearsby reporting for us from Brockingham Forest in Northamptonshire and successfully tracking down two of these checkered skippers. And I'm pleased to say that Megan has joined us again in the podcast studio with podcast regular Hannah. Uh, lovely to see you again, Megan. Hello and again. And lovely to see you, Hannah, obviously. Hello. Megan, what a great adventure. Thank you for going. And you managed to see two. What was it like out in the, out in the forest in the secret location? Oh, it was so cool. Even before we saw them, just wandering around and knowing that they were there was very exciting to see them reintroduced in this English forest very close to where I live in fact was very 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 cool (laughs) and I know that's a lot of berries but each one is needed it's so nice it's like the one of the things that's so enjoyable about that podcast is how enthusiastic you are about it and how much joy you get from just the feeling that you might and like when you actually do it's astonishing because you can just feel all of that energy your knowledge as well is fantastic I think it's enjoyable to hear you sometimes surprising the experts with your with your uh, knowledge and I should say that Megan works for BBC Wildlife magazine you managed to surprise them with finding that it was a poplar hawk moth. I still don't know how I spotted it because it was just sat there in the grass and we were hurrying along and then suddenly my eyes just landed on it as and I was like oh my gosh it's a poplar hawk moth it's just there and I just picked it up and carried on. And I found them a few times in moth traps, which is always a thrill. But there's the extra element of awesomeness when you just find them out in the wild and they're just there, just hanging out. And it's like, wow. Are they the ones that are sort of fluffy? Mm. Yeah, so they've got like very fluffy bodies. And these ones in particular have got very chunky bodies. They're a good snack for a bird. <laughs> <laughs> well, like a full meal, three-course meal for a bird. Um but you, you picked it up. Um, are you allowed to do that? Yeah, it's all right. It wasn't bothered. I put it back on some vegetation in the end. If anyone's allowed to pick them up, Megan is, surely. Yeah, they're not. It's, it's not a rare species or endangered or anything. There are some species that you shouldn't pick up or disturb. There's a couple of butterflies in particular, and some of them are, have extra levels of protection in terms of collecting and selling of even dead specimens poplar hawk moths are fine and they 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 can be handled without being damaged because they're so big you just kind of stick your finger in front of them and they basically just climb on and then they're there you talk about um protections it was very notable that that was a secret like okay we we reveal it's rockingham forest but rockingham forest is a big place it has to be a certain amount of secrecy about this site because why why well that's I gather it's because even wildlife watchers can unintentionally disturb wildlife. It's, in fact, I wrote a feature a couple of years ago for BBC Wildlife about the fine balance between people connecting with nature but disturbing nature. And I focused on coastal wildlife in that. So we encourage people to go out and enjoy wildlife but at the same time some wildlife needs to not be disturbed 
you're talking about like pe- people who bounce their babies on the backs of ba- baby seals on the Norfolk coast and things like that, you know, which which is a problem. People people sort of getting too close to those lovely seal colonies, and then the. But even wildlife watchers can unintentionally trample something that they they might be looking for one thing and trample something else, or they might get a little bit too close when trying to take a photograph. You know, there's yeah, there's protections that are needed for some species more than others. And in this case, because it's a reintroduced species, they need to give them every chance that they can get. And there are many I'd like to see, and I'm very excited to hear your tales of seeing all these brilliant things. One thing we could add into this is that I saw my 51st UK species at the weekend just gone. Really? My goodness, 50. And how many, for the benefit of listeners, how many are there to see in Britain? So it depends on your list. So there's about 60. And for example, the large tortoiseshell butterfly I've seen, and it has started breeding here again, but it's only recently started. So whether the population is going to be viable and keep going is up for debate. We shall see. Fingers crossed. So what did you see then? At the weekend. Yeah. I saw a wood white. Oh, really? Okay. Yes. I see them all the time. No, I don't. <laughs> I, don't. I tried to see them last year and just found a dead one, just oh. on a leaf, which was really weird. Um, but I tried again this year, same location, but I went a little bit earlier in the year because last year I went towards the end of the flight season, whereas this time smack bang in the middle. There were loads out. Honestly, it got to the point where I was like, oh, it's another wood white. Uh, it's, and that's the ephemeral nature of their lives, that they, they have these little windows where you, you can see these species and then they're gone a week later or two weeks later. So it is, that's, that's pretty good effort. You've seen sort of 51 of 60 potential species. Maybe it's time for a Hannah question. When we're talking about the checkered skipper, would you call them checkered skippers or checkered skipper? Like trouser. Oh, I see what you mean. Because, oh, Fergus, that's an odd one, isn't it? It's- well, this, these naming conventions are really, really interesting. It's like some people talk about, I saw three dolphin today. or uh, And I find it really weird that it's some naturalists do it. I think it's quite common amongst um, sort of the game shooting industry, sort of mallard. I, I, I saw three mallard on the lake. It, I don't know. I've always added an S where possible. Things like grouse, you can't because grouses are just is something <laughs> I, I do on Monday mornings when I'm about to work. Um, but you know, the woodcock, woodcocks, it's a funny thing that some naturalists talk about a species in the singular when referring to the plural. I, I just think it's, it's an oddity. Maybe maybe some uh, some listeners can put me right on that if, if there's a particular convention. But the, the, in, in magazine style, I would always try and add an S where possible. So that was Megan's wonderful wildlife experience of the week. Hannah, have you been out and seen and done anything? Well, my week this week has been all about the birds and the bees. Um, It started off with a bang um, this weekend with some bumblebee sex. Um, Bumblebee sex? Bumblebee sex, yes. Okay. Um, I didn't know what was happening. Some sort of strange behaviour with some bumblebees, white tails, so they're like as big as hamsters. Um, <laughs> and 
I couldn't tell if they were like stinging each other or like what was going on, but um, it was the bumblebee sex. And it went on for about eight to 10 minutes um, before the male sort of flew off and the, the female was left sort of straightening her fur and then she flew off too. So that was quite exciting. Yeah, Lit a cigarette and... <laughs> she did look a bit sort of yeah. bedraggled, bless her. And the bird element of my week were, was um, fledging wrens, which are the tiniest of the tiny birds. Um, absolutely adorable. So two parents had been really, really noisy all morning, just all the time alarming, 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 just sort of getting stressed out, just listening to them. And then you could sort of tell that they were going back and forth to one spot and sort of had a little peek because they don't want to disturb them. But... And in this spot were two little baby wrens. And you can tell that they're babies because they've still got their little yellow marks around the outside of their beaks. And then they were fluttering away from wherever, like, they were nesting up onto the sort of slightly larger trees and just above my head so I could see them really, really close up. And they were so tiny, little fluff balls, and they didn't have tails yet. They're just absolutely adorable. Oh, that's lovely. And I, you've got a meadow in your garden, which looks sort of, I, I've seen the photo, it looks absolutely divine. So you... Um, it's been about three or four years in the making. Um, so this year it's properly good. Like it's full of all sorts of different species. Like every day I go out, go out there and there's a new sort of something else has come up and we've got ragged robin and we've got all the sorts of classic field perennials that you would expect to see coming up so do you, do you actually get any work done are you out lying in the meadow all day <laughs> no i do i do but i, I have actually be. i've moved my my office um me and my laptop outside um to so that i can spend time looking at it and seeing what's um what's using it what's coming in and taking the pollen or um coming in and eating whatever's pollinating it all of that kind of circle of life stuff it does seem to be a bit of a oasis for things um it's a lot more seems like there's a lot lot more stuff visiting our garden than the stuff around us because we have left so much of it just to grow but you're in nature reserve it just sounds heavenly it sounds and looks heavenly so maybe we should put a a photo up sometime on one of our it's all my mum's good work i wouldn't want to take any credit except i did rake it last year um, yeah. when we mowed it down yeah well they, they generally say it's the raking that, that does the does I the, think so does the trick, if you rake yeah. it it doesn't you won't last I have some pond news update if anyone's interested in pond news update. hooray so, so pond flash pond news flash um, I managed to catch the two rogue chubs that were in my pot chub chubs that's that plural thing again I think it's chub for uh, that, were, that had survived in my pond, having been rescued from a ditch in early 2020, um, which was drying up, and sneak, sneakily hid in my pond, ate all my tadpoles, and sort of grew huge. I managed to catch them using my minnow trap, which is uh, another story altogether for a later podcast. But uh, and they I, they've now been released into a happier place, a bigger place where they can they can eat as many other creatures as they want. But now my wildlife pond can be a wildlife pond without two hungry fish in there. So it's a happy ending. Well done. Not for the tadpoles, but for the, for the chub. Well, for some of the tadpoles. 
Or do they all get eaten? There's not a tadpole left. No, they they they, they got absolutely next year's tadpoles. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I just better not catch any more little tiny chub fry. I also went out uh, night jarring uh, two two nights ago and got bitten very badly by lots of little midgy things. But it was great. It was a really beautiful still night, and there was so much wildlife. Just as a memory to sort of, if we can get out into the into the dark, um, somewhere wild and remote, and there was no one else around. Just the sound of sort of foxes hooting, foxes barking in the valley. Uh, there were loads of bats flying around my head, but then that sensational sound that night jars make, which is this weird insecty electric insect sound of chir- that's called churring. I think it's more like rattling it's and it rises out of the landscape uh i recorded it for one of hannah's sound escapes which so it'll be coming up in a couple of weeks hopefully um but that was really fun and on the way home i saw a hedgehog on the road so i stopped i stopped and watched it let it cross and then i got out to hope to try and take a photo you know as you do but it, it just scuttled into the bush and made the most appalling racket I think they I think you've said this Hannah before that they they they're not they're not quiet creatures. No. Like a bear was blundering through the hedge. Oh bless him. <laughs> Talking of sounds. It's time for sound of the week and as our special guest Megan would you like to introduce this lovely sound? I'd love to. This week's sound of the week comes from Kenneth Stephen, a familiar name to regular listeners, a poet and regular contributor to the podcast. He recorded the sound of a corncrake up on Iona, which is off the Isle of Mull in Western Scotland. All right, it's just, let it be hard for a minute. I once heard it described by a Dutchman as akin to a credit card being scraped over a stone. And I think that's a wonderful description of the most unmellifluous sound of the corncrake. That's such a weird noise. It's so metallic and so almost like a cricket. Yes, it's it's a rare sound and really, as you say, quite it's very, very persistent. But because it's so rare these days, it's really celebrated. And in fact, the corncrake's Latin name, do you know what it is, Megan? It's a tautonym, to be precise. Crex, crex. I love the best ones. Yeah. though is it? I mean, it's named after it's it's the sound of it. It's onomatopoeic. So it's it's that. So tautonym is where it has the genus and the specific name of the right. scientific name are the oh, same. That's a tautonym. Okay. So the corncrake. Maybe one day we will do a corncrake cast or something along those lines and see if we can have a bit more of that song. But um, Kenneth was recording it on Iona for our next series of podcasts, which is more about histories and mysteries of the countryside. And Iona has a very special place in Scottish history and legend. So look forward to that one later in the year. So with the voice of the corncrake and the lovely Kenneth Stephen, um, it's time to draw this lovely podcast to a close. Um, thank you, Megan, for joining us and for going on that adventure into Rocky and Forest. It didn't sound like it was too much of a hardship, to be honest. And Hannah, bless you. Always lovely to have your thoughts and help both 
in making the podcast and chatting about it. Brilliant. So until next time, thank you very much for listening.